What's up, it's John Savage. Uh, there's a million things we all want to do, but how to do them all. So I'm going to try help unpack all those things, podcasting, AI, and tech, so that you don't have to worry about the how. Welcome to the Wasteland episodes. Why the Wasteland episodes? Because I actually started a podcast in 2016 called The Digital Caveman. And it was all about like uh, interviewing the smartest minds that were trying to navigate the digital world. And if um, I spoke to some amazing people from all around the world, there are about 10 episodes. And I'm just going to dump them all here uh, from 2016. I don't know if I said that or not. Um, I thought they were pretty interesting. Uh, they're kind of out of date at this moment. So one thing it might inspire you to, it might just give you context of what's happened in the last few years. And three, you can hear some of the brightest minds in the digital space speaking sometimes way ahead of their time, sometimes during their time. <laughs> All right. And then um, here's 10 episodes that I'm just dropping. And then after that, we'll go to the uh, the next stuff. All right. The world of advertising, entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation are in a new era of transformation. It's tough out there. And there are no rules. That's why we all need to group together and help each other out of the darkness into the light. We are all digital cavemen. This is the Digital Caveman Podcast, brought to you by Thread. What? You came back for more. It's the Digital Caveman Podcast, the advertising industry podcast around digital medium and branding and entrepreneurship. It's me, John Savage, where I basically traipse around just talking to people about what they think is happening in this world. Uh, we had a really nice episode last week with Mel Atry from Ogilvy. Thank you very much. And lots of cool feedback. Today we have uh, episode two. So this is um, a conversation I had with Andrew Bloom, who is the newish couple of months, I think now, ECD for Quirk digital agency. And what turned us on to him was uh, we'd done quite a lot of work with Quirk over the, the last years. And uh, we got introduced to Andrew recently and he had just arrived there. And immediately his world experience, he was so switched on and clever and inspiring. We just thought this guy, this guy has so much to offer. His story around what happened with Skittles in the UK is phenomenal. So because he was very, very busy, we had to go to the Quirk agency. We were in their big, beautiful boardroom with a very luscious view of Table Mountain, we're very jealous. I hope you enjoy it. If you know anyone who you think should be on the Digital Caveman podcast and has something to offer, please let us know on digitalcaveman at thread.co.za. It's part of the Thread Network. And check out the Thread website where we are launching a few other podcasts as well. But without much more rambling ado, this is uh, my conversation with Andrew Bloom, the ECD of Quirk, in his boardroom at Quirk in Cape Town. To get out of the cave and move into the future, you need to be an innovator. You need to be a digital caveman. So can you start by telling us just a little bit about your background and particularly, I mean, you're famous for your Skittles work and that's quite an exciting sort of build-up. That was actually, it was kind of a mistake because I was, I'd kind of had a history. My history isn't above the line. I've, that's how I've grown through it. And while I was working in um, London at TBWA, we were actually writing TV scripts at the time. And I suppose I've never considered myself a digital creative per se. I was just using Facebook a lot and I was on Twitter and doing all those sorts of things that I suppose the new age does. And um, while working on the Skittles TV campaign, the client basically asked us, if you didn't do TV, where would you put the money? Because there were some issues with globally how we were what, writing. What year scripts. are we talking about now? We're talking about eight years ago, nine years ago. So nine years ago, UK? Yeah, so it was in the, it was in like it was in the golden period of earned media. 
where there was no paid media on Facebook and you could basically do whatever you want. Mm. You know, I think at the time we had like 800,000 fans. Is that, big, is that a big number for eight years ago? It sounds huge. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty big number for then, you know. And um, basically we started writing a experiential campaign that was largely video content, but used the medium of Facebook to kind of create this narrative or the story just in the best way that we, we weren't actually like following anything else. We were just doing it because it sounded like it was a, it was a great thing to do. And over about three projects in about three or four months, I think we basically built the fan base up to like 2.8 million. Okay, how um, did you do that? So it was just basically people clicking because they liked what we were doing, watching, mm. engaging. One was a project to bring blue skittles to the UK, but they started in, I think, the Czech Republic, where they were made in the factory, and they had to essentially like massage a trucker's ego into getting him to keep driving back to the UK. So it was essentially it was like a like-powered truck, but not directly by the button. You had to like, you had to kind of like like him, be his friend, soothe him say nice things to him <laughs> otherwise and it was it was basically we, we filmed and recorded video on the fly every single day edited it in the evening and posted it straight to facebook the crazy experience was that it wasn't like successful in the public's eye i think for me as a creative it was an awakening it was just it was so much damn fun that we could kind of make this stuff on the fly and be so free to film i mean there was there was purpose going out there to film the client knew what we were doing all the everything was vetted by them before it was posted but it was just so liberating i suppose not to spend six months crafting a single film that was just you know sort of refined and refined and refined and refined and get it out there but still with pretty good production quality but we were i mean i think we were shooting on the 5d mark ii it was you know it was like it's it's technically a photographic camera. It's not a. It wasn't a film camera. People at that time started picking it up to shoot film, but those were in the days where like you weren't meant to shoot film like that. It was still you know risque, and so you know that was one project. There was another project where we kind of put uh, a guy in a box and drowned him in skittles that people contributed the skittles cool. to just by watching, yeah. and then there was another project where you wrote a status update on Facebook. And then it got a call center of these weird characters to record it into a video and post it back onto your Facebook page. And so, and people just messed with it. They picked it up and they played with it. And through those projects, I just, we had a lot of fun mm. doing them and they were all completely different projects, but at the same time, incredibly su successful for the clients. And, you know, the audience just lapped them up. That is the story still of the internet now. You say successful for the client. I mean, one of the, I think, perpetual WrestleMania's that you often get is that awareness versus actual sales. Like you might get a thousand Facebook likes or a million. How does that translate to sales? In the Skittles example. That, that was actually kind of what, what made it so successful for the client yeah. is that, and for us, is that while we were doing it, because they had chosen not to do TV and because there was no, technically at the time, there was no point of sale in market. So it was so the, easily measurable. It was basically easily measurable because right. it was the only thing that they were doing. And so basically we calculated that for every four interactions mm. or for every four clicks that happened on the Skittles Facebook page, one pack of Skittles was sold. And so over the period of a year, we had a 30% growth in sales. And for any brand, when they expect one to 3% growth in annum to get 30%, it was, a, it was a no brainer to yeah. pump more money into it. So if that was the sort of flagship of this, have you found the methodology repeatable and, and continuously successful or what, what are the challenges continuing with that, or is it easy? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, 
the old question of is there a science to creativity, still, still the answer is no. I think that one of the things that it, that it definitely taught me, though, is that if you can if you can start with it in mind of what are the metrics that you're going to judge something by, and how do we prove the success of this campaign, then I think that clients and I think we ourselves will be more likely to buy into the technology behind the stuff we're doing. So digital doesn't have to be about hocus pocus. I think like I think you're always rolling a dice when you're doing a digital campaign. But whether you're doing a digital campaign or a TV campaign or a press ad. You never know if it's going to be successful. You know, we try to do research and stuff to kind of guide us um, in the above the line world. But the reality is, is that it just because, you know, sort of 50 people in a room say that it's going to be successful doesn't mean it is. The, the great thing about digital is that you have a living, breathing audience. And within a couple of days, you can see whether it is successful or not and whether you want to put media behind it. But in terms of building the thing, I think it's it's good to come to it with responsibility in mind. Because I think just digital naturally has this hocus pocus behind it. There's a mystery. People don't yeah. people don't know what necessarily how all the moving parts add up to success. So you say what I heard you say there was that you start with the metric that you want to. So you say, for example, I want to double the sales of Skittles. How do you get someone from Facebook into the shop? I think any brand starts out with a metric of I want more sales. Yeah. So I don't think it's something that we necessarily started out with. Our metric was we wanted more fans. We wanted more Facebook fans specifically. Um, so we said, well, if we were going to do something on Facebook that was going to engage people around Skittles and around the rainbow, what would that be? And so I guess that the metric behind it or the econometric was just judged by, it was very simple for us because you know, analytics in Facebook, you can read, mm. so you can see your little graphs going up and down. And if you put, you know, you can see your Facebook fan base growing, decreasing interactions. And then if you put your sales graph directly under that correlating to time, you get a fairly good idea of what's going on. It makes it much tougher when you have all sorts of other communication out in the media landscape. Mm. But I, I still think that there are ways to track. And I think that um, especially data and analytics, I mean, we all know that that's becoming more and more important mm. because I think that's one of the great and powerful things about digital is we can track interaction, we can track the way that people behave. That's starting to be cheated, which is disappointing. Yeah. Let's not get into that. That does bring me a relevant question. Do you think there is a disconnect between the reliance on impressions versus genuine engagement? In any data world, there is superficial data and then there's relevant, right? And I think that engagement I mean, engagement you can genuinely feel. My currency, personally, that I've always used for my own work is fame. And that's, you know, I, I think that kind of PR and word of mouth is still as important as it ever has been. Um, I always love, love it when like BuzzFeed or Mashable or Contagious pick up something that you're doing mm. and then start talking about it. You know, sure, our PR arms can ask them to talk about it, but when, when they do it organically, when they do it organically, that's awesome. Does your client care about that as much as you do? I mean, that sort of PR that that you say it becomes the currency of fame. Um, I think any brand cares yeah. about people talking about them. We all have our specific channels that we would prefer to be talked about in, because I suppose, like the, you know, you, you might find that the Buzzfeeds and the Mashables are more relevant to me mm. because my peers are listening and watching. But at the same time, I think that anyone talking about it is, you know, it's essentially that is. That is earned media. That's free publicity. That and free publicity is always is always great. This is Digital Caveman Podcast. This is Digital Caveman Podcast. Brought to you by brought to you by Thread.
biggest challenge that you find being in South Africa as from your experience? Because from what I understand, last time we spoke, a lot, most of your experience for the last 10 years has been outside of South Africa. Yeah, it's been in um, London for five years and then Chicago for three after that. Or is it a global, is the challenge global or is it, is it? You know, weirdly enough, the challenge is global. Yeah. Still right now overseas, the marketing industry, I, I suppose the more progressive clients like Nike, obviously Google, because it's tech-based, but they all get the power of the medium, of the digital medium. But I think just in terms of like brands and their marketing arms, they've just traditionally spent money against above the line. So there's no doubt that stuff is moving more digital internationally. Um, how the marketing industry deals with that is is different. I've seen it kind of be dealt with quite painfully in most markets, whether it's America or here, you tend to find above the line agencies buy digital shops rather than organically growing their creatives towards a more digital future. I just see digital as part of a media landscape. It's not a different profession per se. For me, the profession is ideas and then digital is just a medium. It's the best storytelling medium we have right now. I think it was the same when you had a move from radio to TV. Everyone was like, TV's just a fad, it's gonna die out. And the same thing, weirdly enough, happened when we moved to digital. But, you know, we, we didn't learn our lesson. And then we resisted it for ages. But the reality is it's just a great storytelling medium because it's actually an interactive storytelling medium. And interactive has always been the goal. If you could write a TV ad that in the old days that was interactive, that made people want to actually watch it two or three times or spot something in it or feel like they wanted to take ownership of it, that was a better TV ad. And the digital landscape just allows us to do that organically now. And so that's a mindset challenge here that has to change. I think what, that, that, that digital is something else. Are you, yes. are you saying the challenge yeah. is that but that's, people are scared of it because they think it's something new, yeah. but it's just an extension of what's there? Yeah, it's just an extension of ideas. But I think that's an international problem. One of the biggest problems here specifically is talent. Talent for digital specifically, because I think that South Africa is a little bit of a closed market. I think that when, when your British companies look towards creative agencies, look towards hiring the digital savvy, the people that are doing this the best. You know, they look towards, Sweden has always put out great digital work. So they look towards Sweden. They pull in Americans, Swedes, Australians. There's, there's like this, you know, they can pull and draw talent from wherever they want to do it the best. Whereas I think South Africa is a little bit of a closed market. We don't tend to attract international talent that way. And because of that, because we are a market that for me, in terms of actual digital application, we're behind mm. and we're only drawing from local talent. It kind of makes the problem a little bit worse. So I think that we're escalating. I have a weird theory that is the rest of the world has moved through desktop towards mobile as an experience. And in terms of a medium, you know, like a device that you interact with the medium through. And internationally, they're moving towards more and more towards mobile desktop's getting left behind. But Africa just went straight to mobile. And yeah. so I feel like that's going to be the catch-up in a little while. Bandwidth is still the issue because I think that with rich online experiences, video, audio, pictures are just a part of that. They're naturally a part of that. That's the way we as humans tell stories. And without access to being able to watch that, listen to it, we can't tell the stories we need to. There's, I mean, there's USSD, which is here right now which is very hard to tell a story on 
when people are, you know, they can reply and stuff like that. But essentially, it's still a paid medium, right? You have to pay for those SMSs going back and forth, whereas data is like it's more structured in terms of how much you consume. But once it gets to a certain threshold, people just don't think about the data. Overseas, you have like unlimited data plans everywhere. Or if you've got heavy caps, you've got like two gig caps. Does USSD exist elsewhere in the world? Or do you think it's just an, it's a stepping stone until the data issue resolves itself? Or is it something powerful by itself, do you think? It's still more engaging than not having it. So I think it can still be used. That's one of my challenges that I'm trying to play with at the moment is like, how do you use USSD as an engagement storytelling piece and not just a single like sort of sender code in to enter? Mm. How does it become like a first step of a conversation where somebody replies and then becomes like a, you know, we could use it as a choose your own adventure type medium. But you've seen that the whole black label campaign that they did there. It was quite amazing when they were doing uh, the football. Yes, yes. And they, they got the, the players to phone. So if you got a certain amount of uh, points in the USSD chain, somebody from the team pre-recorded would phone you and say, thanks so much for the vote. No, I didn't say that. And apparently the, um, you know, the agency there was just saying, like, people would phone, like, try and phone the ad agency. Please, can you get him to phone again? My friends don't believe it. They don't believe the, the players phoned me. So awesome. there was quite an interesting engagement stuff going on there. That, that, yeah, no, it's, it's mm. definitely... I mean, at the same time, I, I think that smartphones are getting cheaper and cheaper and so we're going to naturally kind of i think probably within about three years we're going to be beyond that just in terms of sort of data but as a medium i think the challenge right now is how do we take those and do that sort of stuff and i think because i've been overseas i haven't seen it's hard to play on an international field when you're talking about like one show awards the webbies and dnad it's hard to compete with ussd you know when you've got like completely immersive online campaigns, I think that you have to be, you have to use it in such a smart way that blows people's minds. So I think that's the challenge. We are a little bit behind. I firmly believe that we have some of the best creatives in the world here in South Africa. So there's no reason we can't crack it. I just think we need to kind of like change our mindset towards it. What's the most exciting thing happening in the digital space that you can see at the moment? You know, I'm, I'm such a tech geek, so that's, that's a really broad uh, playing field to me. I, th I think automation seems to be seems to be a huge software. In which sense, automation? Kind of like, you know, the way that Google now, you don't have to ask for things anymore. Like, I think the utility of Google and the utility of Apple in terms of the way that software works for us is hugely exciting. So, you know, we're used to apps that we load up and put our information into, but you're tending to find now that there's a lot of cross-pollination of, of data. So our data is in places and how it's used and how companies apply it back to our lives in terms of utility, I think is hugely exciting. So I think letting brands become more utilitarian in the digital world. A couple of years ago, there was a Best Buy in the States. They did this, um, this campaign called 12 Force, which was basically they turned everyone working in a store into a assistant online. So they gave every, every person cool. in store a phone. They basically connected all those phones to the Best Buy Twitter account. And when people asked any tech-related questions, people in the, the people that worked in store would respond. So like if you couldn't find out how to do something on your TV, they would respond and the employees would get points for responding. So it became like an enabler for them to grow. Hmm. So they were seen for, for their knowledge that they were applying back into the business. And it became a real utility where people were like, wow, Best Buy really cares about 
helping me kind of in that, my tech world. That's such a rad way of actually immersing your social media or your uh, engagement into the real business itself. It yeah, seems totally. like a, what a nice bridge for them both to live in the same world. Yeah, it's, it's pure utility, mm. but at the same time, it was kind of like, you know, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a fine line, right? Because I don't know whether that was like a big brand idea necessarily. Mm. It wasn't a marketing idea, but it definitely was an idea that was valuable to consumers. And so, you know, I, I think that makes it valuable to the brand. Being in charge of digital future, you are listening to the Digital Caveman Podcast, brought to you by Thread. Is there a specific, like, daily challenge, do you think, that the industry, I mean, if I think the people listening to this are people who are all really interested in the future and really interested in how this digital environment is progressing. Is there a specific challenge that you think everyone is wrestling with, whether it be, as like what you mentioned earlier, how do you measure your ROI or what, or like in terms of the fictional numbers being there or something? What, what do you think is the struggle that the industry is facing at the moment and how, can you, how do you see a possible solution? I mean, I think the biggest struggle is, is kind of that problem about the attitude towards digital, is that we're just not opening our minds you know, we still, we still see film, the actual content, we still see that piece of film as the most valuable thing. I think partly that's because we still live in a world where TV here has the greatest numbers, but that's rapidly changing. And so we will hold on to that naturally for as long as we can until, until I think Twitter and those sorts of platforms just become more valuable. That's the biggest challenge, just the mindset behind it. What was surprising for me, just to jump tangent a little bit, was surprising for me like was when I came back three years ago, before I went to Chicago, I felt like it was just not quite the right time. We just weren't there. Like the broadband pipes weren't in South Africa, just the client mentality towards digital, the kind of work that agencies were doing just wasn't quite there. And coming back now, I definitely feel like that has shifted. Like the, we're over a hump. Mm. We're at the beginning of a wave. There's a lot of optimism about, you know, Africa in general being powerful, like in its growth in the context of the globe. And I think that the digital landscape plays a huge role in that. I mean, if you think about what digital did to Asia, however far back, it was mind-blowing when, um, when Alibaba floated a couple months ago, or I think it's now like six months ago, it blew my mind that it's like the most valuable IPO that's ever launched, if that's the right term. You know, it came out of nowhere. It's mm. an Asian company that was like, it was, it's nowhere compared to what eBay, like in terms of like the software and design, but clearly what it facilitated as a digital platform in terms of trade was massive in that part of the world for, for being a portal mm. for access into that part of the world. As foreign industry, like if you need to buy something from China, who do you call? So being able to access but it. But isn't that, isn't that confused by the fact that there are limitations for things like Google to be in those areas? I don't think so. I think that they were just a platform that was, was there first. And at the end of the day, if you're there first, you're, you're what people are using. Mm. So, you know, I think that as long as a company doesn't come in, mm. I'm sure that eBay is there and trying to compete. But at the same time, if you've got all sorts of manufacturers that are already on there and they're using that mm. and it works and it works well, then, then they're going to grow. And so that, cool. that specific portal gave us access to that. And so I feel like Africa has a lot to offer. It just hasn't sold it to the rest of the world yet. So, but the I, door's open, you think? Yeah, totally. I went to the Digital Age, the Digital Age conference 
and I found it to be a total waste of time in the sense that the speakers all were obviously knowledgeable, but it was targeted. It felt like it was targeted at brands who might be sitting in the audience. And, and it, it felt like it was going like, Facebook is important to your brand. Don't forget about it. And, and to me, that was so uh, aimed so low that it was a waste of everyone's time. I actually found a critical thinking point, like thinking shift when I was in the UK happened when I wasn't sold the technology but I was sold why it was valuable. It's a simple difference, right? Yeah. But like when, when digital is talked about, like we can talk about like 3D and virtual reality and you know, there's this cool augmented reality thing that you can do. And that's the problem. People, people think Somebody that- Somebody also came and sold the augmented reality yeah. People, nonsense. QR codes, biggest hate ever. <laughs> Great technology, fucking useless. Yes, but that's, but that's the assumption, right? Is yeah. that digital is the technology. Yes. And it's also what keeps us as digital agencies like in the dock because the above the line agencies are like, you guys don't know what ideas are. And, uh, you know, I suppose that there, there is part of that is, is that, that something, we, is that, okay, so is that a real thing? It is a real thing. Oh. It is a real thing because, you know, having worked on the above the line side, I have, I have worked with digital agencies that are about just the technology. Uh-huh. So you're just an enabler. You take the idea and then you just execute it in the technology. But the reality is that the conversation that happens through digital is more valuable than that. And I think that for me, it started to shift when I found out why digital was valuable. One thing we don't do enough with our brands is actually present case studies. If there is a certain digital campaign we want to sell, yeah. case studies of why engaging with fans is important. I mean, maybe that more and more now, I think your brand managers are aware of that. They're, they're aware that it is valuable. But I think it's still, it's still tough figuring out why I should put, you know, people don't want to put more than like 100,000 Rand into digital. It's Did like you, that's- Should you find, I mean, if I look at the Skittles example, didn't it happen organically that they sort of bought into the idea, gave you a limited budget, you proved the results. I mean, I don't know, because I wasn't there. And, yeah, they, and then we that's what unlocked more support. We I have mean, talked about this before. And I mean, that's, that's really how it, it went down. It was like, so surely here, that's here, the model. Here's a four-part campaign, yeah, and this is how it fits into a timeline, and and they digged it, but they were like, but you know, sort of, easy, easy, easy tiger. Yeah, so yeah. we started. I think we we started with about forty thousand pounds, which over there was not, you know, I think that's eight hundred thousand rand, mm. which is quite a lot of money here to put into digital. But once once that was successful, the numbers doubled and tripled and. So um, that's that's where you, you feel that's where we are now. You breached just, my confidentiality, <laughs> but um, you know it's. So you're in that proofing. I mean, you you feel you're in the proving mode now. You've got to totally, you've totally got to squeeze a couple and, of and dollars we're, out. And we're, and we're in the we're in the proving mode, not just to clients, but to partner agencies. Mm-hmm. And about you know, there's this. There's, What's there's, the difference? There's also know. there's there's like this fear. Yeah. There's this fear of digital that we are hocus pocus and we keep everything close to our chests and like, well, they're coming for us, so. Let's keep them at arm's length, yeah. which you know may or may not be true. I think the reality is is that I just want to make cool stuff. I don't care whose name goes on it. I just want to make cool stuff. Mm. And so I'm not like I'm not necessarily in it to go back to the TV. That's really not what I want to do. You mm. know, sort of thing. I just I just want to make more digital stuff. Is there? A, I don't understand the difference between now an agency like Quirk and a non-digital agency, an Ogilvy. So the segregation in terms of the briefs we receive. Is, is huge. So a client will go to an Ogilvy and go, you guys write the strategy, you do the print ads, you do the TV. Then, then interface with Quirk, and once you have the idea, Quirk will do the idea in digital. I see. So there's a, there's a struggle in terms of the ownership of ideas going on. 
right? Right. So because if you control the idea, you can kind of control the executions to a certain degree. Like I'm quite happy for other agencies to lead the ideas and to extend it in the digital space. I just think that we just need to apply ourselves in the right way. So if the idea is limiting, mm. it'll be limiting in every medium. For me, that's the, the crux of it. Like if you can't do cool, immersive experiences and now more than ever, I mean, the best ideas in the world have always created conversation, right? They've had an insight and they've unleashed conversation around that insight. And so it's just about creating ideas like that. And if above the line does that, I'm totally fine to extend them online. The problem is when you get ideas that don't unleash conversation and they're just like, it's a line. Make it's it a line on a piece of paper. Yeah. And then for me to talk about that for six months yeah. in digital. You just set yourself up for failure. Yeah. yeah. Because actually digital forces you to take a cold, hard look at whether you're interesting or not. When I worked at JWT, they had a great saying, which I loved, which was stop interrupting people and start becoming what they're interested in. And digital is a very good example of that. Mm. You have to be, you have to be what they're interested in. Otherwise they just turn off. I mean, you've got like laughing goats online and you've got cats doing backflips. And then you come to me with the pack shot. Yeah, make this cool. Yeah. Make people like this. Yes. Yeah. Tough. So I mean, uh, it's tough. Do you find, I mean, maybe this is, must be, uh, this question must already be outdated, but have you find it all that if you're getting briefed from the global agency or from the above the line agency that they have taken into account that this has to be an immersive concept or is it like, here's our TV ad, make it work online? Because that's obviously historically what is the whole idea of taking your TV ad and putting it on YouTube. <laughs> is still yes. something that people do. <laughs> no, they, they, that is. I mean, you know, more than ever, I think that it's worthwhile for content to be written for digital because the, the barrier is, or the bar is set higher. Mm. And normally if you, can, if you can set the bar higher and it's interesting online, you can normally put it on TV. But, you know, the best TV ads, I will say, hold their own online as well. And what I quite like is that you can, you can build longer, bigger, more immersive experiences online and extract the TV as part of that. Mm. And I think that's what I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating a totally just shift to digital. Yeah. Like yeah that's yeah. not, that's not the they idea. All work together. It's like, it's like, yeah. what is the, what is the landscape of ideas? What is the experience, the whole immersive experience that kind of goes on around mm. it? And then sure, take part of that and put it on TV. But I think that's actually what being integrated, you know, for years, agencies, we talk about integration. We talk about ideas that span print and TV and the internet, but the internet forces you into that mm. because there are so many touch points now. There's like, what are we doing on Twitter? What are we doing on Facebook? What does our site look like? What are the experiential campaigns that we're doing out in the world that link to digital? They force you to kind of in, like engage that whole landscape. And if the idea can't span all of that, then it doesn't work. Cool. Last question. What do you want to see at Quirk while you're here? That is a tough question. Mm. Surely you, you arrived here and, and with your experience have an idea of where you want to take, take the agency. Yeah, I think I, I, mean, I, I think I just want to see more innovation, but on a global scale. That would make me incredibly proud. I think that you know, year on year I've sat overseas and the can lions have come up and the one shows and I see innovation from a lot of agencies and it's exciting and South Africa picks up awards in the radio category and you know that's great but I, I want to see like titanium lines coming home to South Africa for digital for experiential stuff because then it shows that we're we're heading in the right direction you know I, I don't live by awards but I think that they're a good benchmark 
to go for in terms of Especially to draw attention, if you say, if you believe that Africa has so much to offer, then that's a nice way for people to see what's here. Yeah, mm. but also if you're, not, if you're not aiming for that, maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You know, if you can just naturally push yourself hard enough and you don't need to enter the awards, that's absolutely fine. But I think in terms of like what they give us a benchmark to do, mm. is why they're necessary. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, Andrew. This was the Digital Caveman Podcast. If you know any digital pioneers that you'd like for us to talk to or have any questions, mail us at digitalcaveman at thread.co.za and we'll get on them. If you'd like to make a comment or get in touch, find Thread on Facebook and give us a like. 